The most common cause of bad customer experience isn't that high tech. It's embarrassingly simple. Yup, it's answering questions. In e-commerce, it's really easy to get bogged down with common questions, whether that's, where's my package? How do I return or exchange this item? Or just to cancel a subscription. SolvePath is an AI-driven customer support system that enhances the customer experience with visual formats and self-serve technology to empower your customers to handle their own support requests. Get the best customer support system for your business. Get SolvePath. Get started by visiting GetSolvePath.com. You're now listening to Fintech Confidential, bringing you the people, tech, and companies that change how you pay and get paid. Be sure to subscribe to Fintech Confidential on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player by going to podcast.fintechconfidential.com and sign up for Fintech Confidential information at access.fintechconfidential.com. Derek, welcome to the show. You are the first guest whose company is focused on helping the financial institutions be successful. And I'm excited to learn more about your fintech journey and how it led you to join AutoBooks in 2018. Thanks for having me, Ted. Yeah, really, really happy to be here. And at AutoBooks, we love talking about small business banking and most importantly, like how we help small businesses get paid and financial institutions stay ahead of the competition. So let's dive in. So I noticed that you spent some time at Bano and Wade Arnold was one of our first guests here on FinTech Confidential, but wait, I'm, I'm skipping way ahead. So I'm guessing you fell into FinTech like most of my guests. I actually was recruited by my family friend right out of college. And so I was going to college. I played soccer and was a pretty dead set on being a college soccer coach. And I got asked to be an internship for a community bank data processing company, Ted. And if you don't know what that means, I didn't either for the first two years I was there. And I was a, was it literally an intern, did everything from helping Banks move off of serial connected environments to network connected environments, move off of dumb terminals to network connected PCs that had a new GUI interface and helped process items in the data center, run updates on a Unix file processing system. And, you know, just continued to stay there and just ended up being in financial services. And then along the way, I got really interested in digital banking and helped a company called CSI build and launch their first digital banking platform. From there, I met Wade Arnold and Wade was running Bano and building really like a next generation digital platform for financial institutions. Was had the pleasure of being part of that team for a while. Was acquired into Jack Henry. Stayed at Jack Henry for a while, had a great time there, and then ended up starting my own product and design agency that eventually led me to AutoBooks. So kind of a long and winding tale, but that's how I got into it. So with your career and experience, your career in product and experience, what have you learned the most about the relationship between financial institutions and user experience that has surprised you the most? 
actually really, really love to talk about this. So here's the crux of it. So what I love about product and experience, and now I've actually evolved into marketing and I see it as kind of one and the same in many ways, but here's what's happened in banking. Financial institutions and really the technology companies that, that power them, like the core companies that you hear about in market, they got their dominance because they had this geographic advantage. And the geographic advantage was they built really great service and experiences around people walking into physical locations, having an interaction with people that really cared about the progress they were trying to make, had empathy and concern for their financial well-being, and generally wanted to see the best for their community. They wanted their communities to thrive and therefore the people within those communities, they have a vested interest in them thriving. What's happened over time is that has not left really community, mid-market, regional banking. But what's happened is we've built out the digital banking channels and those have started to mature. We've, as an industry, really placed an emphasis on having customers interact through digital. And it's not just that we want to have them interact through digital, customers want to interact through digital. But what happens is, is when customers like basically just focus on leveraging digital to get access to information, that removes the physical connection between the banker and that customer. And what happens in the loss of that physical interaction is the loss of connectivity to the market, connectivity to the customer. You don't get to see the problem on their face or the delight that they may have in your banking experience. And so everything starts to become grayed out, if you will. What I believe to be most important and valuable in product today for banking is getting banks out of the boardroom and back on Main Street. And what I mean by that, Ted, is even though you prioritize digital banking, your team, if you're in a financial institution or if you work for a technology company that powers financial institutions, you have to get back in front of the customer and understand at the end of that mobile app, there's a person, you know, there's Ted Huff on the other end of that line. We've got to go back out and, and talk to those customers, understand their needs, their wants, the progress they're trying to make, interview them and let that inform what we build and do as an industry. Wow. That is amazing. I'm a technology first type guy, which you probably guessed. I can't remember the last time I physically walked in. Actually, I can. It was in 2019. Chase Bank forced me to go into the bank to change my address on my account, which I thought was yeah. just, it was crazy. But that's the, <laughs> that's the world that we live in, lived in, period, past tense. I'm curious, what was the biggest reason that you decided to join AutoBooks, especially with that perspective, what was it that, that got you excited about joining AutoBooks? I was working at Jack Henry CSI before that, being part of the Bano team. I had experience working with financial institutions and helping to really craft and build out their digital banking roadmaps and strategy. One of the things that, quite frankly, if I'm just being honest, was a little uneasy for me at times was how much of the responsibility there was on our team to craft the strategy for all these financial institutions. And I love community banks and credit unions, and I, I just love the whole market. What I realized was I was getting really pretty good at, at building a story and a strategy and a roadmap that appealed to financial institutions, but I didn't necessarily know as much about their customers as I would have liked and understand really what they were looking for and the progress they were trying to make. It was more like we were building, Ted, this is kind of an indictment on the industry, if it will. I was building towards RFPs designed and constructed by consultants more than anything else. 
And so my whole shift out of that industry at that time was really around, hey, I, I kind of just want to reset. I'd like to go on my own for a minute and see what it may look like actually going out and practice what I preach, if you will. So I started to consult with companies on user research, hearing from customers, and then coming back with the recommendations about what a product should or should not do based upon what the customer wanted. I joined the AutoBooks team as building my own agency and meeting the CEO, co-founder, Steve Robert. We really just clicked on that conversation. And then we since added team members that are even deeper into that than I could ever care or imagine to be. And we all just clicked on that. Rather than getting wrapped around the latest thing that we could build, doesn't mean that we should be building it. We're really just trying to focus on, hey, we've got the, the core of a problem of small businesses have a pain point. And a small business's pain point is cash flow. It's the hottest of the, of the stoves if they reach their hand out, right? It's, they're going to get burned on that real bad. 82% of small businesses fail because of cash flow problems. If they have this pain point as a team, most all of our energy and effort is focused on helping them with that pain point first and foremost. There's a lot of features and capabilities we could build in our current solution that do things that bankers think our solution should do at a high level. That doesn't mean that the end customer cares about that thing. That's a delicate balancing act. What you have to do in this industry, I believe, is remain very, very focused and intentional on talking to customers and letting them drive what we build and do, because that is the only way to maintain relationships with customers. Because if you don't do that, you're just in an arms race with the biggest technology providers in the country, and that's probably a losing battle. What is the AutoBooks origin story and how has the vision evolved in order to achieve the mission of being able to enable the small businesses through their financial institutions? AutoBooks was founded by Steve Robert, Eric Schmidt. They were also co-founders of another business called Bill Highway. Our origin story kind of goes back there. They were partnered up and they were working with, a, with another entrepreneur at the time. They digitized sorority dues where young women were needing to pay their sorority dues and really their parents were needing to pay them. But the parents were having an issue. I give a check for cash to my daughter. It gets lost. It gets forgotten. It gets you know delayed. All of a sudden, she's behind on her sorority dues and then she can't attend this event or you know, there's, there's some kind of unintended consequences just because, hey, like we're all in college and getting checks and paying sorority dues maybe worth the top priority at the time, right? Can't imagine. And so they basically just figured out a way to start to digitize. How do you do all of the roll-ups of all these local chapters into a national organization and adhere to all the counting needs and, you know, the reconciliations of the payments and the returns and all the GL entries required into that and, and tracking of outstanding receivables, et cetera, et cetera. They built a very successful business that wasn't venture backed, but they just bootstrapped their way into this business over 15 years. Eventually, first they ended up acquiring it, which then Pfizer bought that, and then it kind of got rolled out. So through all that, they always had this understanding that small businesses and businesses themselves could also take advantage of this because they were a small that became a medium to larger business of a, and a customer of a financial institution. And many of the tools that they would have liked to have had as part of their banking experience didn't exist. They felt like they had some of the components, quite frankly, of that could be integrated inside of a bank. And so they started some high-level conversations with large financial institutions at the beginning. This is a, a tough, tough, tough world to kind of crack into. Those ended up falling apart. But what came out of that was the research or the understanding of like, okay, like there's actually these companies that power most of the financial institutions in the country. 
what if we decided instead to kind of go to the biggest financial institutions first, but what if we partnered with these other organizations and became really great partners and said, hey, we want to just integrate our app and capabilities inside your digital banking platform so that you can make it available to your thousands of banks and credit unions. That may be a better distribution model and a faster way to get to the small business customers. So that's where we're at today. We lead with this partner first mentality. We just want to be embedded and integrated inside of digital banking so that we can reach as many micro and small businesses as we possibly can. AutoBooks has partnered, last count that I saw, was nearly 100 financial institutions like credit unions and banks. What does that number look like today and any big names you can drop? Yeah, Ted, we got to get you some outdated information here. So that was the last press release we did was um, actually in, in sometime in 2020, we had 100 customers. It took us, you know, kind of 2017 to 2020 to get to 100 customers. One of those customers was TD Bank, so a top 10 bank in the country. We've got a, a great partnership with them. Through those first 100, what we found was, you know, we can continue to go bank to bank or credit union to credit union and, and onboard them. Or we could go to their technology partners like Jack Henry and Q2 and CSI and Alchemy and FIS and others and say, hey, why don't we do more of a mass enablement strategy? So what would it look like, Jack Henry or FIS, if we said, hey, here's two compelling features that we believe every micro small business owner can benefit from, digital invoicing and online payment acceptance. And if we're able to break those two features out of our platform and embed those into your product experience, would you all be willing to enable those for all of your customers? So that now invoicing and online payment acceptance becomes as ubiquitous as online bill pay or mobile remote deposit capture. The results were yes, we would be willing to do that. So now at this time, close to 500 financial institutions live on the application. And at the end of 2022, close to 1,000 financial institutions live. We'll be able to 10x our implementation by really thinking about it in this way, Ted. This is the one thing I want to get across to fintech vendors and financial institutions is we have this opportunity now in the industry where the digital banking providers are making it more and more simple to connect to their digital platforms through SDKs and APIs to be able to make your products and solutions available to a wide market of financial institutions that really need these product capabilities. So find ways to offer value, give value to the partner, give value to the financial institution, and in return, get access to more customers that need your, your products and services. If you can find that opportunity and then have ways that the customer themselves can upgrade, make progress on the application, and you can kind of like build out a, a long-term monetization strategy, we think that that's probably the default um, method and model of distribution moving forward in, in financial technology. That has been a huge shift in the distribution model. It started in the small business software where they used to have a separate piece of hardware for each type of thing that they wanted to do, whether it was they would have the nice terminal thingy on the counter for their gift cards, and they'd have another one for their credit cards, and they'd have another one for their food stamps or electronic benefits transactions, and they'd have another one for... God, who knows what else? And so they had all of those different things, which made it very confusing, very hard for them to reconcile. And then comes in the software provider that starts to say, I'm going to consolidate a lot of this for you in the process of your day-to-day -day environment and giving you a better experience. And then now you've started to see that move, not from that level to the providers that those software vendors 
worked with now expanding that out. Then you've got even that next layer that you just talked about where the core systems have started to realize that they can continue to grow their businesses by exposing this interface, whether it be through APIs or SDKs, they don't always have to be the one to build the user interface. I think they've started to realize that the exponential growth that can happen, just like what you just mentioned, from 100 to 1,000 financial institutions by opening that up. Now, keeping some very tight controls in place, but still opening it up in order for that to happen. When everybody came to the physical location and technology was built around that, Ted, the pace of innovation and the pace of change wasn't as heightened as it is today. It's just taken our industry some time to kind of like work through that because that's a change in how things were built and done. Fast forward, now we're fully digital and other companies, other entrepreneurs realized there were gaps in the market for small business owners, whether it be a physical retail location or somebody that's just out in their truck doing service work all day. So you start to see all these point solutions spring up and be built out because financial institutions couldn't possibly provide everything that those micro and small businesses need. The downside to that is now these point solution providers are building more and more capabilities in their app and they're starting to embed banking services. You got this whole banking as a service movement. Well, that's good for some of the banks that are providing those services, but it's not good if you're a community financial institution that doesn't have a banking as a service strategy. And now all of a sudden a business owner can not only get paid through Square, but they can bank through Square. They can get a loan through that application. There's all these banking products that can directly compete against you as a financial institution. What we have to do as an industry is figure out, okay, do we care about micro and small businesses? You can ask yourself of this of any vertical inside of your financial institution. What solutions do we need to offer through our digital and in-person banking channels? What services do we need to have? And then how are we gonna pursue making those products and services available to our customers and members. Hopefully, as an industry, we're starting to now say, we do care about micro and small businesses. Because we care, they're shifting away from getting paid in person by a cash and check into digital, via digital invoicing, online payment acceptance, and app payment acceptance. What are we gonna do about that? Thankfully, now there's a solution to market for thousands of financial institutions. It's called AutoBooks. And reach out to us or one of your digital banking providers and we'll be happy to talk to you. So that's the shameless plug there, Ted. <laughs> no worries, man, no worries. You brought up a lot of great points and I wanna break this down into probably three separate questions just to really dive into the details. Why should FIs look at bringing embedded invoicing and payment acceptance into their product offering, especially if they think, hey, there's already products out in the marketplace that can solve for this. Why financial institutions should care about digital invoicing, online payment acceptance, right? Why should you care about small micro businesses using Square, PayPal, Venmo, even QuickBooks online to process their payments? It's very simple. You need to lock in their deposit, how they get paid. You want the direct deposit relationship because you become their PFI or primary financial institution you get first access to their deposit. You then can upsell them additional products and services. Your retention rates go up, attrition rates go down, et cetera, et cetera. What's the digital version or what's the version of that for small and micro businesses? So in consumer, it's direct deposit, it's automated, right? For a smaller micro business that used to get paid in cash and check, 
you got the direct deposit because you were the only place in their community where they could take those cash and checks, deposit them and get access to working capital to pay bills or to run their business. Now that the world's moved digital and it's moved online, if as a business owner, they can use a third party app to get paid, that app now has first crack at that deposit. They've actually locked in the direct deposit relationship. So if you're a financial institution and you're saying, well, I don't know that I need digital invoicing on my payment acceptance. What I would say is, do you want to lock in that direct deposit relationship for a smaller micro business? Do you want, when they get paid, that money to flow directly back to your organization and not a third party? If the answer is yes, then you need the tools and capabilities that enable or power a business owner to do just that with you. So how does AutoBooks enable these FIs to deliver the results of locking them in to their customers? Like what, what kinds of things do you guys offer to really help them move that forward quickly and easily? Yeah, so what we offer is digital invoicing, online and in-app payment acceptance, and then an upgrade capability for the business owner to upgrade their payment experience to accounting and cash flow. Um, so here's the way it works. Business owners have an immediate pain point. They want to get paid. They need cash flow support. Um, the traditional paper-based invoicing process takes anywhere from 27 to 41 days as a business owner, okay? The median number of days of cash reserve a business has is anywhere from 18 to 27 days. So if you're a small business owner and you have limited or depleting cash reserves, you need to get paid as often and as quickly as you, as you possibly can to build up that cash buffer. If a physical process takes you over and extends you over your cash reserve time, then you're constantly behind the, the cash flow curve. And you're, now you're starting to have to dip into credit cards or lines of credit. You're paying interest on that and you're behind, quite frankly. What we do is we help businesses simplify the way they get paid from their customers. 95% of our invoices are paid within five business days. That's a net benefit to a customer. A small business owner can quickly and easily enable that feature inside digital banking, be approved in minutes, and start sending digital invoices and accepting online payments from their customers within minutes. Powerful, powerful capability. We had literally, we get reports and we get stories from business owners every day. Yesterday, we had a business owner reach out to their financial institution almost in a panic of like, I've got a customer that no longer wants to pay me through check. I used to just get paid through check. They said it has to be on a card and it's a $30,000 invoice. Can you help me? Okay. That business owner tried to go to a third party app, but good luck getting a $30,000 limit in minutes from a third party app. Their risk appetite and algorithms are just different. They have to be set up in a, in a completely different way to justify that. Here's the advantage of Bank House. We're directly embedded in their digital banking. They can instantly turn it on for their customers. Customer can instantly enroll. We have all their back core data history and access to their entire account portfolio. Powerful story, Ted. So that business owner only had $6,000 in their checking account that they wanted to get paid in. That's a bit of a red flag. Okay, they've only got $6,000 to cover a $30,000 invoice, but yet their total relationship with the financial institution was well over $250,000. Not something that you can do outside of the banking market very easily. That's the advantage financial institutions have. You have the total relationship. You just need the technology. You just need the ability to say, hey, business owner, I got you. It's available in digital banking. 
You can do it in minutes on your own. But, and here's the big but, if you also need our handholding, our support, you need us to request a higher limit, we can help, right? That's the big win for financial institutions. That's a differentiating. Here's the tech. But also here's this kind of loving, warm blanket of support surrounding the tech that we're used to, to providing that differentiates from that third-party application. How does third-party app competition like Square, PayPal, Venmo, QuickBooks, et cetera, building essentially a headless banking impact the banks and credit unions, small business banking? It's starting to have a, a big impact, quite frankly. As business owners have had a need to get paid digitally and there hasn't been a solution from financial institutions, naturally they have to turn to a solution to help them out. They've adopted Square, PayPal, even Venmo, and QuickBooks is integrated merchant processing as well to get paid digitally from their customers. Here's the challenge for financial institutions. While on the surface, all of that started not from a sense of having a, this direct line of competition. Financial institutions thought about like, wow, they're just providing a service, but the money comes right back to our account. Over time, each of those providers has started to eat into the solutions and the capabilities offered by a traditional financial institution. So it started with payment acceptance, and then it was quickly like, hey, leave your money in our virtual wallet. When you leave money in your virtual wallet, we're going to give you access to a business, real-time business debit card you can spend directly from the merchant wallet. And then the more business you do with us, we're going to automate the ability to give you access to lines of credit or working capital loans. And so now there was a sell-it report put out at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, by Alinka Grelish that basically stated Square is directly going after 80% of the revenue opportunity for a financial institution in the small business customer base. And that continues to grow higher. So as these entities now become banks like Square, you have to look at them as your financial institution as a direct competitor to you. So here's the fun thing, Ted. Ask a financial institution, go look at all of your data. Any micro or small business customer getting paid through PayPal, Square, Venmo, QuickBooks. Look at the number of transactions, look at the number of customers, look at the dollar volume amount. I promise you, because we've done this for hundreds of financial institutions now, all of those totals will scare you. They really should. All of those totals are much higher than your in-house merchant processing solution easily. Here's the challenge. Every one of your customers that sell using one of those third parties is a light risk to your organization because once they get paid through that organization, they are being retargeted and remarketed and cross-sold and upsold products and services that directly compete against your financial institution. You can see a decline in deposits coming back to your organization from active customers using those third parties. And you're also gonna to start to see a declining number of cross-sold products because they're getting solutions powered by somebody else. Yeah, it's been really interesting to watch these exterior companies, like we mentioned, Square became a, a a financial institution, I think two, maybe three years ago, Stripe, which is the API version of Square. And they just, they just bought a bank in California in order to get their commercial banking license. So I see that continuing to happen. And I think that the financial institutions, if they're not doing what you just said, by looking and seeing where the deposits are coming from, 
they're definitely doing themselves a disservice. Now, this kind of leads me into a slightly different topic, but it really talks more about the digitization that has happened with such market volatility, the great resignation and the acceleration of a remote workforce versus in-person. How are your clients and their customers using that as a way to succeed in the marketplace versus using it as something that's holding them back? Yeah, a couple of things about the great resignation and people starting their own businesses. For one, there's 30.7 million small businesses in the U.S. economy, according to the SBA. Uh, something like 80% of those have less than four employees. So the reality is most small businesses in the country are just like, you know, it's just you, Ted, or it's just me sole proprietor. In addition to that, there's a growing number of people basically starting their own independent working opportunities. So MBO partners tracks what they call the independent workforce, and they peg that at like close to 41 million uh, individuals. And so what you're seeing is there's this just this growing market of individual entrepreneurs that have a certain trait, capability, service that they can offer that people are willing to pay for. And in some cases, that could be full-time work. In some cases, it could be a side hustle or part-time work. So the barrier of entry has never been lower. All of these entrants into this market need tools that satisfy their needs as a smaller micro business. They need to get paid. They need to have some kind of like digital marketing capabilities potentially. And then they need the ability to account for their payments. They need some accounting, some of your tax prep, some cash flow capabilities. They need the right documentation to go get access to working capital and lines of credit. So as they want to build their business, all of their ducks are in a row, if you will. And so what our financial institutions are recognizing and seeing, there's this new wave of the way small businesses want to bank with us, the tools they need, and how we can help them basically grow their business over time. And so what we do is we just offer that path, right? That on-ramp of start digital, start with getting paid, and then we've got this progression features and capabilities we can take a business owner through. In addition to that, what you're finding is, is a lot of these micro businesses are actually in consumer or personal banking products because things naturally started out of that. So my sister-in-law is a perfect example of she started a photography business and it started and evolved out of her personal checking account and it's never left. And she does a healthy amount of revenue every year now and it's all through personal checking, but she needs small business banking tools. However, her financial institution, because she's not segmented in a small business checking account, has really no way without looking at the data to know, one, that she exists as a small business owner, or two, what to offer her. So all of the marketing she gets is related to consumer banking, but yet she's a small business. That's one of the biggest challenges we have as an industry We've been so tight and rigid with account segmentation that it makes it difficult to target this audience segment with the right products, the right services at the right time. Wow. I hadn't even thought about the segmentation that goes on. I look at it, how it's been underwritten for merchant services, how is it written, underwritten for ACH services. You know, and, and asking for those services individually versus looking at the overarching relationship. I was just working with a financial institution earlier this week. It's really interesting to see how when a financial institution segments like that, how information doesn't get shared. 
So you may have given all the same documentation to the loan officer that the, the business banker needs, but because they don't talk to each other, you have to go through the whole process all over again. That can be very, very frustrating for a lot of people. And I think that's also why some of these other entrants have really started to, to pick up is because they store it all in one place. Everybody accesses the same thing. The data is pulled from the same places and there isn't as much segmentation as what you were just mentioning. Yeah, that's the industry perspective, right, Ted? That was really well articulated. So if we're bankers, if we're compliance people, if we're underwriters, we're technology providers, we can talk all day long about MIDS, TIDS, LIDS, ACH, WIRE, Treasury, positive pay, all this stuff. We can talk about all the risk we have and all the underwriting and how difficult it is. And hey, we need to just put, we could put everybody in these nice, tidy little segments and we can force people to go into these segments so we can make it easy on us. And you know what the customer doesn't care about? How easy it is for us. You're my sister-in-law you're thinking about end of year tax time and you're realizing, man, like my business is becoming big enough that I don't want my personal expenses commingled with my business expenses and income. And my bookkeeper and accountant is asking me to break these things out so that I can maximize my deductions and really understand what I made this year as a business. That's her problem, right? So she's in this moment of need in the middle of the night she clicks on digital banking and it says add account and she adds an account. That's how her relationship into this account to start her business started. Okay. It didn't start from the perspective of, oh, wow, I need to go to my bank's website. Look at this cheesecake factory menu of products and services. Try to find what positive pay means. Do my own Google research to understand, does that apply to me or not? That's not the way she's thinking. That's not the way end customers are thinking. So that goes back to the whole thing of go out and talk to customers and find out what are their pains and needs, design something that meets your compliance, underwriting and risk, but is simple for the end customer to understand and make progress on. We can't think about segmentation and nice, tidy verticals from the bank perspective. That's what's called supply side thinking. We're only thinking about what we could supply. We're not thinking about the customer demand. We gotta think about the customer demand. It's funny you bring up the Cheesecake Factory menu. Just last week, I was working on strategy with a company and we're really walking through it. And I brought up, do we want to offer a Cheesecake Factory menu? Or, and I'm, I'm West Coast, I, I've lived in the West, on the West Coast for a, a, almost 11 years now, actually over 11 years. And so I'm like, or do we, and most of the guys are West Coast too. And I'm like, or do we want to do in and out where it's just a handful of items and you can make some tweaks, but you can't get chicken nuggets and an in and out. I was like, he's going in and out burger for sure here. That's, I think that's going to be one of the hardest questions for financial institutions to answer soon. So do we, because we were in a community and we had to service all the needs of the community, because customers were coming to us and we were the only one of two or three games in town, we kind of had to offer everything, right? We kind of had to be the cheesecake factory, if you will. I think that's changing. And so as digital progresses and people can go find point solutions that quite frankly are better at solving individual problems, I think financial institutions, especially community, are going to have to answer or ask themselves, do we really need to service this wide range of customers or do we need to focus? And so if we look at, we peel back our financials, where's 80% of our revenue coming from? That's where we got to focus. And the other things need to go away. 
maybe it's a hard default on offering some of those things and you send out the hard letters to your customers and saying you're deprecating the service or the feature in 30 days, or it's something a little bit softer. But either way, I think those hard questions have to be asked and answered. I've got a, I've got a bit of a suggestion I could give you, Ted, if you want it on maybe how to address that. Okay. So you're, you're leading right into the next question. If you could only give banks and credit unions one piece of advice, what would it be? Okay, here's my piece of advice. I've been, I've kind of been on this, this soapbox for a while now. <laughs> so the soap, we'll, we'll let you stay up there. Yeah, the soapbox is this. If I'm in a financial institution and I'm running strategy or digital strategy or I'm an operator, I'm asking my team to do the following. I'm first, I'm going to my board and I'm telling my board, I need everybody to go open up a digital account at our financial institution. I do not want you to talk to anybody in our organization. And I want you to just do the process on your own. Okay. Just go through it and just take some notes. After you open up an account, I want you to activate bill pay or mobile remote deposit capture or feature, download the app, start to use the product, just make some notes. I then want to come back at our next board meeting. I'd like everybody to talk about their experience. Was it simple? Was it easy? Was it intuitive? What did you think about it? Okay. So Ted, the reason I say to start with that is because that starts to put empathy and it starts to seed strategy at the board level for a group of individuals that quite frankly, just have to, don't have to go through the traditional customer process. They got a different set of rules. Give them empathy for what the common customer goes through. Then you could probably ask for your executive team, your strategic team to do a bit of the same. I would also challenge them to maybe go open up an account at Chime or somewhere else or Square and then start to have some comparison between the two. I would then say, after we do that, we're then gonna go for the next 30 days, and I'm gonna go talk to long interviews with at least 10 of our customers and just ask them how they do their banking or what progress they're trying to make. Don't be simple with the questions and say, hey, how are we doing? What do you think about our service? What do you think about that? No, go talk to them about how they run and manage their business. What are they struggling with? There's an old Japanese proverb. You have to ask why five times to get to the real answer. When somebody gives you an answer, ask why. When they give you that answer, ask why. When they give you that answer, ask why. And just keep peeling it back. Come up with their actual pain. The reality is most people are very nice and they're going to give you nice answers at the beginning if you've taken time to go meet with them or call them on the phone. You've got to peel back and you've got to get to the honesty. Okay. So then have your team go and do deep interviews with at least 10 customers, record those, play those back, make those available to the team, and then use that information and say, all right, we're going to go hire a local design firm or product team to come in and just prototype an experience to solve that pain. Those 10 customers had a common pain point. We're just going to go prototype a solution to solve that. Low fidelity, not high fidelity. Don't go spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. Just go prototype something out. And then take that back to your team and say, this is an example of a way that we should be solving customer pain. And then the next time your digital banking contract comes up for renewal or mobile banking or frontline teller, whatever the thing is that you prototyped and did, don't take in the traditional consultant RFP that has hundreds of features that nobody uses and use that as your benchmark for what your solution should look like. Use your customer's pain and the prototype and the solution you designed around solving that as the guiding light to where you should go. 
Because if you solve the most important things, the other things don't matter as much. You cannot possibly build the future if you're focused on rebuilding the past. And RFPs are simply a documentary history of past features that aren't necessarily necessary or needed by most customers today. Wow. That was some deep insight, man. That is fabulous. We've talked about so much today. Is there anything that I missed that you wanted to make sure the audience knows about AutoBooks or heck, even some of the financial institutions that may be listening? I would just say at AutoBooks, we really do care about helping small micro businesses make progress in their day-to-day life. Ultimately, we would prefer that they partner with their financial institution to do that. We want to be a provider, a piece of that. We kind of have this phrase that came to us from a mentor named Bob Mesta. And Steve, our CEO, actually talked about this recently. We don't pretend that we're the full sandwich the business owner is going to eat. We're just the mustard. And we're perfectly content being the mustard inside of your financial institution sandwich offering. You guys have you know, much more of the capabilities, the service, and the things that a business owner needs. We just want to augment and supplement that so it tastes as good as possible. We think that we've come up with a clever way to make our app and services available to financial institutions pretty simply. You can go turn these things on, but there's one very, very important thing that I'd like to stress to financial institutions. It's not just about the tech, it's about the people, but it's also about the marketing. And you gotta make sure people understand you have the right thing for them at the right time. If you don't lean into marketing, Facebook, Square, QuickBooks, Venmo, PayPal, they all are. And when they market, they do a really good job about it. And once they hook somebody, they reel them in. It's okay to send some emails. It's okay to post some social posts. It's okay to throw something up on YouTube to talk to your customers. So lean into that marketing, let them know you've got a solution for them, and then let your service and product solution shine. So what is the best way for the audience to reach out to you or to the AutoBooks team to get started by learning more about what AutoBooks could offer them or help them solve a problem? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Derek Sutton, D-E-R-I-K-S-U-T-T-O-N. Same thing on LinkedIn, D-E-R-I-K-S-U-T-T-O-N. I'm much more active on LinkedIn. But most importantly, just go to www.autobooks.co. It's .co, not .com. And you can engage with us there. You can also send us an email to let's talk at autobooks.co as well. Derek, I really appreciate your time today. I'm going to put all these in the show notes and the description. So everybody will have access to all these different links. If you want to get a hold of Derek, you want to get a hold of somebody at AutoBooks to really figure out what's going to work for you. We'll go ahead and have those links so you can go straight over there. And again, Derek, thank you for being on, man. This is this has been a fabulous conversation. I have a feeling you and I probably could have done this for another couple hours. Thanks, Ted. Great to, great to be on and thanks for having me. Be sure to subscribe to Fintech Confidential on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player by going to podcast.fintechconfidential. Our show notes in each episode are available at www.fintechconfidential.com. And you can get Fintech Confidential information by signing up at access.fintechconfidential.com. If you want to be a guest on Fintech Confidential, submit your application at guest.fintechconfidential.com. Fintech Confidential, bringing you the people, tech, and companies that change how you pay and get paid.